winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 68th episode in the series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva, Gometra and Erid. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. I hope this finds you well and happy, wherever and whenever you happen to be. In this episode, I speak with Nick Holmes of Aris Mains. Nick tells us tales of his life and interests, his travels and adventures in the UK, France and America. I first met Nick when I was working at Mull Theatre in about 2007, and we then both joined Mull Film Club together at the same time, so you'll hear quite a few mentions of films peppered throughout the conversation. This conversation was recorded over a year ago though, and some of the ages mentioned in it may have changed since then. Talking of times past, there's a new episode of What We Do in the Archive available through our SoundCloud and web pages. It's a talk that Bruce Cheap gave to the Mall Historical Society in 1986. It's filled with the most amazing details and surprising stories. It's well worth a listen. And now, without further waffle from me, it is my great pleasure to hand you over to Nick Holmes. Who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, my, my simple answer is I'm Nick, Nick Holmes. Um, Holmes was my father's name, and uh, that's why I carry it. And Nick, I'm really not sure, unless I'm named after old Nick. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> Just checking your heels for springs. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> uh, and where, where were you born? I was born in uh, North London, Gov. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, so my uh, my parents were living there, um, and uh, so that was uh, born in North London. Yes, which bit of North London? Are you in? Um, it was in uh, in Holloway. Yes, mm-hmm. was that Royal Holloway you were born? Yes, in? indeed. Yes, fancy knowing about that. Right, yeah. No, mm-hmm. I'd say yeah. yeah um, I, I think I've been past it right, uh, right. In, uh, when I was in London a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, aye, um, there was a lady who lived in Salon and. Um, I got talking to her sometime or other, where are you from, such and such. Oh, I said, yes, I was born in that part of the world. She said, oh, where, where, which hospital were you born in, such and such. Yes, one, one. She said, I work there. Oh. <laughs> and I suddenly realised that, you know, she was older, much older than me. You know, she could well have been working there when I was born there. It's just so funny. You know? Amazing, yeah. <laughs> yes. And what were the family doing in London? Um, my father was a teacher, um, teacher, primary, primary school teacher. And my mother was working in various uh, secretarial jobs, including significantly as a personal secretary to uh, to a Lord Mayor of London. And uh, so she she would always trot that out to prove her, uh, her credentials of high placed people she knew and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Lord Mayor was it? Uh, Sir Stephen Killick, who was the uh, he was they all they all come from the. Uh, from the, the trades organisations, uh, the guilds, and it was something, I don't know, the silversmiths or stocking makers or something or other, but anyway, he, it was his turn to be Lord Mayor of London, and um, she, for some reason or other, I think she had been working for his office and then became his personal secretary right. and uh, took all the notes for his um, for his autobiography and so on. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah. Gosh, do you have a copy of the autobiography as well? 
I don't. And I suddenly, mm. suddenly thought, how funny! I've never ever thought of uh, of getting one or seeing if uh, you know a grateful thanks were in the in the foreword or uh, yeah. Well, well, well. Thank you for the suggestion. We'll have a look in line <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. And where where do your folks come from? Were they Londoners as well themselves? Um, my my mother was a Londoner, but my father was born in uh, in rural Lincolnshire. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So. Um, uh, yes, but quite how they met, I'm not sure. It's all a bit bit uh, shrouded in secrecy. They didn't want to talk about it. So oh, really, <laughs> heavy dudes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, so you're born in '43. Yes. And uh, you just talking there about uh, your mum and uh, your your loss of uh, hearing in your yes. uh, left ear. Le- left ear completely. Yeah. Um, th- so, what did your parents say about London during the war? Um, well, that it was very, very scary. Yeah. Uh, my father was taken out of his job as a teacher and put into uh, the uh, Royal Navy um, uh, uh, planning department. And as such, I mean, I've still got all his handwritten notes for the number of uh, people, number of boats going to be used on D-Day and so on. No way. Yes, and uh, he, uh, and then of course they were moved to uh, to Bath because they thought that the uh, the ministry was too uh, too vulnerable in London with everything they were preparing and trying to yeah. deal with. So they went to Bath, and then for some reason or other, as you probably know, the the Germans bombed Bath, yeah. and he said there must have been a spy in the camp somewhere or other. Obviously, they, they said it was in reprisal for. Uh, for bombing Dresden, um, but of course, uh, why why pick on Bath? There's plenty of other places, and and uh, this sort of anyway. So they were in. Uh, I th- I I think I was conceived in Bath, <laughs> in the Bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, th- then then the uh, wartime was coming to an end, and and uh, they moved back to London again. But uh, he was also an air raid warden. And uh, funny enough, he kept he kept a uh, an incendiary bomb, which he defused by so- soaking it in water for uh, for for years and years and years. And then eventually, he said, "I don't want to keep this any longer. You have it." And I I had it, and it was a feature of the museum I had as a child. Yeah. And uh, until quite recently, I thought to myself, "Why am I keeping this? It's just sort of, no one's interested in this." And I I sent it to the uh, to the Museum of North London in Islington somewhere or other. Nice. And they wrote back and said, "Thank you so much." They they talked a lot about it and had pictures of it. They hadn't actually got an incendiary bomb, and it's the first time they'd received a bomb in the post <laughs> <laughs> that they wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, but, uh, I've, I've been tempted to go. It's in Islington somewhere. This Museum of North London. I, I'm quite tempted to go there and see my bomb. <laughs> yeah, totally. London then, were you brought up in London first of all? Uh, no, they moved. <clears throat> I think they wanted to get out of London after their experiences there. And uh, I just wanted, I think my father wanted a, uh, a more significant teaching job. Right. And they moved to uh, to Huntingdonshire, which is, uh, no longer exists as such, but it was uh, taken over by Cambridgeshire in, in more recent years. But so right. they, they moved there. And then I was really... Brought, they, they moved there in 1947 and were immediately flooded by the great floods after the, the terrible winter of 47. And um, then I was I was brought up there in, in the small village near St. Ives in Huntingdonshire. Oh. And um, then I, uh, yes, went to school in, in Huntingdon Primary School because that's where my father taught. And uh, Did you have him as a teacher as well? Yes. How was that? Grim. 
Really? Why it's, was that grim? Well, everyone thought you were, you know, because you did well in uh, in class, being reasonably intelligent or something or other, or that you were a teacher's pet and, uh, you know, you were, you were a favourite and uh, you got high marks just because you're Mr. Holmes's son. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't perfect. Mm. What was childhood like in, was it fairly rural or was it quite sort no, of it, it was it was very rural in, in those days. Right, okay. Yes, what, yes. Was that, what was that like then, Huntingdonshire? It was, uh, I I liked it. I liked it in particular because I could get out on my bike and uh, escape from home and and so on from quite an early age. And it, uh, I, it was, we were surrounded by farms mm. um, and the most significant part of it for me was the, the river, the River Ouse, which uh, mm. flowed, flowed through there and spent a lot of time um, um, by the side of the river and then eventually going on boats and eventually I had a job sort of which involved living on the river so <laughs> wow like um, David Essex in that uh, TV series uh, not, from years ago not, not quite no <laughs> it was a building it was an old water mill and it was situated oh. right in the middle of the uh, the river close to where I was brought up and it was um, it was a youth hostel, and I had jobs as warden there. That was much later on. You've got a photo of that up in the house, haven't you? Yes, I have indeed. Yes. Yeah, and I remember you saying that it was quite a tragic place as well. Yes, uh, there, there were um, there was a, a mill pool there, and because of the uh, the volume of, of tourists and so on that it attracted, even in those days. Um, there were there were drownings because uh, it was the water was all sorts of varying depths. There were there were tree roots and so on, and uh, there were there were fatalities there. Yes, mm -hmm. I was involved in one or two of them when I when I was a warden because uh, people would come shouting, knocking at the door there for help, help, and so on. God, yep. not easy. No. Family then. Who else was in the family when you were a wee person? Uh, my my sister Virginia, born uh, three years after me, right, and uh, yes, she was still we're still closest of friends. Yes, fantastic, which is, which is good. Yeah. So did Virginia have your dad as a teacher as well? Yes, she did. Did yes. she have the same experience? Uh, no, I think it was easier for girls. They, I think girls weren't weren't bullied in quite the same way as boys were bullied. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a different. Uh, I mean, the classes then were huge. I was in a class of fifty. Um, this was immediately post-war, obviously, and uh, I don't know. It was. It, it wasn't. A, it wasn't really a problem. But yeah. no, I don't think she. Uh, it was held against her in the same way as in times it was held against me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Who from that period in your life do you remember? Are there still classmates that you keep in contact with? Uh, strangely, yes. I um, I knew one person, and we decided a few years ago to see how many of our class of uh, 1955 we left this primary school, and see how many of these class of 55 we could locate for a reunion. Uh, it was not so easy then because there was not the uh, the internet way yeah. of tracing people, so we had to do it all by by phone calls and so on. And it was quite surprising how many we managed to contact and bring together in the old uh, primary school there. Wow! Yes. Uh, what was that experience like? It was fascinating. It's fascinating to see how people you you knew, you know, when they were still in short shorts and and uh, spotty and so McGee. On. Yes, yes. And, and, <laughs> Blazers with uh, with monograms on them. Um, just uh, just what had become of them all. Yeah. You know, some you thought thought well um, that doesn't surprise me, and some you thought, well yes, I thought he'd probably go well, or you know she would go well. But it was it was a wonderful reunion. Yes, and That's a lot amazing. of us have still still kept in contact. Yes. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, 
Cambridge, so I'm, I'm, I'm a big Pink Floyd fan, or I, ha- or I have yes. been a big Pink Floyd fan in the past. Um, Cambridge was where Pink Floyd were from as yes, well. That's right. yep. Did you know any of those guys growing up at all? Uh, funnily enough, yes, at the secondary school I went to, which was a minor public school in Cambridge, um, one of them, and I can't remember his name now, was in the form below me. Right. So I d- didn't know him then, but uh, became famous later, and therefore one could say, oh, I knew him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that, that was the only acquaintance I had with them, yes. Secondary school? Yes. Where um, where did you go to secondary school? Was that in the in that area as well? Or that, so that was that was this minor public school in um, in in Cambridge itself. Right. Okay. Yes. So how did you get from Huntington to Cambridge? Um, from well, from from uh, it's actually a village called Hemingford, mm-hmm. that, um, Hemingford Grey that I lived. Uh, initially by train, cycle into St Ives and catch the train to, uh, to train to Cambridge and then walk to to school from there. But in later years, I realised that um, my parents couldn't afford to get me a season ticket. They give me the money each day for the fare by train. But if I got away fast enough in the morning, I could cycle to Cambridge and have the fare, which was obviously then you know a bonus to spend on Mars bars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I de- my father later had a job teaching in Cambridge, and he got a lift from a friend. Never they never had a car, yeah. and I had to make sure, obviously, that I got there to Cambridge ahead of them. <laughs> so it meant cycling like mad and leaving early in order to uh, not to be. Um, well, yes, <laughs> to be found out. <clears throat> How long was the commute? Was it an hour or was it...? Uh, the the train journey was something like 35 minutes. It was a bit longer for me to uh, to cycle there. It was about 16 miles. But uh, well, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. That's quite low countries as well around there, yes, as well, isn't it? Like, yes. So what were the... Edge, wind- edge of the fence, you'd, oh, you'd, you'd call it. Yes, it was, it was flat. It wasn't... A, if I'd had to uh, commute and on a hilly bicycle route, I don't know if I'd have had quite the same enthusiasm for it. What were the winters like there then? Were they kind of because I, I, I very, love Box of Delights and yes. that's in my, in my head. <laughs> exactly, very very bitter. Yeah, they used to say the wind came from the Urals. Aye. There was nothing higher in between, uh, you know, to, to deflect it or anything, and so they were very very bitter winters. Uh, comparatively dry because, as, uh, as as one knows, the East Anglia is one of the driest parts of the UK, uh, but it did make the winters very bitter. Mm. Rivers used to ice over, even. Oh, fantastic! Yes, gosh, yes. How did you um, move away from from that part of the world? And at what point did you move? And where did you go? Where did you go to university? What? Yes, uh, I was I was set up to go to university in Cambridge because the uh, the school I attended had a had a close link, well, joint founder, in fact, with one of the founders of. of of a college in Cambridge, but I, I didn't want to do that. Although friends were going to be there, I wanted to be somewhere different. Yeah. And uh, I, my particular enthusiasm and, and um, love was French. Mm. And I uh, tried to find out how I could get to uh, to college in in France. And um, a route was eventually found where I could go and study in Paris for a while. And so I went there. Mm. But then I think. The finance of it became difficult for parents, and I applied for a uh, for a place in a university in, in London, King's College, and because I, I was quite interested in war studies, mm. and there was a uh, particularly leading um, 
a professor of war studies there, school of war studies, and thought. But then he t- he told me sorry he couldn't accept me because I was the only one who applied for this course that year, so they couldn't really run it. Um, so I did uh, I did Spanish and English. Fantastic. Yeah. What age were you when you moved to France then? Uh, Eighteen. Yes. To Paris. Yes. Which quite, bits quite of Paris? <laughs> yeah. Quite, I, I, actually, lodging was found um, in a, in a satellite town there from from Paris. Oh. And uh, but it's a nice name, Aubonne. Aubonne, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, fantastic. And um, used to go in there each day, but which I liked. It sort of reminded me of rail journeys of the past, and yeah. uh, I always liked railways and rail journeys, so that was okay, not a problem. But obviously, yes, being in Paris at the age of eighteen was was quite mind blowing. <laughs> It's um, and walk, walking from uh, from the Gare du Nord to uh, where the um, where the uh, education establishment was, it was right through the red light district there. Oh yes, yeah. And of course, that was something one was not familiar with in Cambridge or London. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is Spanish fly? Yeah, <laughs> that, something like that. Yeah, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> I uh, yeah, I remember uh, when I moved to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I was living in the just off the Rue Saint Denis. Yes, first of all, same, uh, yes. Faubourg Saint Denis actually, yes. but just up from there. And, uh, and and the ladies of the night were like, "Good evening, sir." I was like, "Good yes, evening, yes. ladies. <laughs> Very friendly people here." Yeah, yeah. And then I remember the um, walking past uh, a sort of butchers, and there was a cow's a calf's mm-hmm, head mm-hmm. skin going round in a rotisserie <laughs> amongst you know like roast chickens. And there's roast chickens Wasn't and calf's it? heads yes, and yes. things. Oh, it was quite something. Yes, all of these things were, were quite exotic, weren't they? Oh, extraordinary, and, uh, yeah. And fascinating and so on, yes. Well, what were the things that really <laughs> stood out? Wars. Oh, yes, exactly, <laughs> yes, indeed. And the ancient profession, but um, what was what was it that stood out for you in Paris? Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's a good... It's a good question. It was a. It was at a time when the uh, OIS was uh, was um, operating against De Gaulle, and it was the fact that they were also these sudden violent um, uh, incidents, which you you heard about, but weren't yeah. involved in. The only time I was involved in anything was when I went past a police station, which had just been attacked there, and there was a, a there was a police car that they just which had been on fire, which had just put out, and um, and so that that, that was. That was memorable. It's a period I've not really heard talked about much at all. I, mean, I know the stuff slightly afterwards. And well, are, were you around when the student revolts were on as well? No, that was um, that was slightly later. That was yeah. les événements de 68. 68. And um, I was there in 62, 63. So that was yes, I I, I missed the protests. Mm. <laughs> Did you see any of the kind of popular French culture that was emerging at that time at all? I suppose I did because I I, I went to uh, to cinemas oh a lot. I was, I was very very keen on on film studies. Oh my gosh! Didn't, didn't study it, but was interested in in studies of it. And uh, yeah, but I couldn't I couldn't I didn't have any formal uh, film studies, as it were. Just in an enthusiasm. So did you see the kind of early movies of uh, Demi and uh, François Truffaut and people like that? Yes, well, Godard and so on. Yes, indeed. Oh, yes, so what did? Because yes. I, I think the most memorable thing though was um, I went to the Cinematic. Uh, um, oh, yes, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And um, they were showing this film by Orson Welles called Citizen Kane. Oh yes, I've heard of it. Which yeah. I <laughs> not seen before. Oh wow! And there was I was the only person in the cinema. Oh, you're day. joking. 
I found it absolutely mind-blowing. So I went out and they've got to have a second showing. So I paid, I've got enough sous for the second showing yeah. and watch, the, watch it again all the way through. On your own again? Yes. <laughs> I've, you know, that was staggering, staggering. Mm. My favourite word in the world is still rosebud. Oh, very nice. <laughs> rosebud. Yes. <And> thump. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, it's only later that I learned, of course, that uh, <laughs> uh, this was based on a false premise. Because since there was no one with him and he died, who knew that this this key word? Yes. Yeah, anyway, the there thing. we go. Well, who is the camera? Yes, yes. Uh, that's a question I was asking. Um, the there was a cultural thing in France as well, as well of um, staying up late to watch films. Les Nuits Blanches, mm -hmm. you know, Nuit Blanche yes, are when you miss yes. the last metro and you have to wait to the yes, next metro yes, in the morning. Yeah. And I remember. There was a particular part of town on the left bank where they would have there was a street full of cinemas and it was Nuit Blanche O and mm -hmm, whichever mm -hmm. cinema and it was just I, I never did a whole night in one but I just I loved it and I remember my first I, I didn't have a girlfriend until I lived in, in Paris I just didn't have <clears throat> didn't have the self confidence I think it no, was no. But, uh, mm -hmm. and anyway I my I remember when I broke up with my first girlfriend uh, I took myself off to see a Woody Allen movie <laughs> kind of late at night oh, and, and it yes. was just it was fantastic it was like oh, that's, that was a perfect antidote at the time for, for that, that that situation the ideal yes. cure yes. yeah it was at the time yeah no two about it so no Paris and cinema for me are totally linked totally linked I just think it's yeah it's French conception of cinema it's one of the most beautiful things I love yes, it yes. and then I owe a lot of my working life to that as well but From from Paris, then you came back to L London to go to yes, I, so long ago. I'm trying to remember what I actually did do. Mm. Um, yes, I came came back from Paris, went to uh, went to London to university, but then I started to tire of studying, <laughs> and um, I discovered a totally different way of, of uh, living. I, I went to um, every weekend, I used to hitchhike to Herefordshire, where I had, um, had some friends, and uh, there was a friend there who ran a youth hostel, and I went there and suddenly found myself involved with uh, canoeing and uh, oh, wow. girls and mm. all sorts of things, which was much more attractive, going into the, into the pub with friends, and uh, eventually gave up uh, the university what, completely and um, moved, to, uh, moved to Herefordshire. And that, were you running a youth hostel at that point as well? No, I was staying at my my friend's hostel and therefore helping uh, helping him run it with the school parties, the canoeing parties, and so on. Lovely. And um, also made friends locally, uh, yeah. who I've been in contact with uh, ever since, and um, who eventually moved into the village and stayed with and worked with, and so on. Working on agriculture, working on uh, construction, things like right. that. Right. Yeah. Because like, so you've got a very diverse skills base, so that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that. That's where that comes from. That yes. from that time. Yes. Yes, indeed. What was the first kind of construction project you worked on? My friend, who who uh, they 
he was a son of, of a farmer, so I worked a lot on the farm. But then he decided he wanted to make a bit more money himself, and it was in the uh, in the in the sort of early mid mid sixties when there was a lot of money floating about for doing uh, rural improvements and so oh, on, yeah. and particularly putting in water supplies and sewage supplies. And my friend sort of put in to uh, be uh, available with a tractor and trailer. Yeah. Uh, and the first JCB that was uh, was invented, wow. and um, to be working on a, on a, as a subcontractor to a uh, to a construction site, putting in um, putting in I can't remember if it's water or sewage, and he asked if I'd be his banksman. And the banksman is the uh, the kind of person who works with the tractor driver and uh, shovels things up that fall out and uh, hit, uh, hitches and unhitches the trailer and things okay. like that. And that's how I started off as sort of. My career in the construction wow. industry yeah. as banksman. Yes, wow. I don't know if they still have banksman. And it's not a term I've heard at all. No, yeah. I think they have giant machines now which do everything and don't require any labour apart from the driver. Push that button. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> and uh, you, at what point did you meet your first wife? <laughs> That's a very good question. I'm afraid, yet again, youth hostels sort of uh, f sort of feature in in so much of my life. I uh, had a, a friend who'd um, who'd moved up to uh, to Pitlochry. Oh, I right. decided to go and visit him. I couldn't stay with him. He lived with his parents in a in a, in a fairly small place in Pitlochry, but there was a hostel nearby. And at the hostel, I. Uh, <laughs> I was just in the common room and I heard there were three girls there talking away and my first line memorably was excuse me just to satisfy my curiosity is that Swedish you're speaking because of course it sounded like Swedish because I was familiar with it from the Bergman films and I thought this is the first real Swede Swedish woman I've ever met and this was uh, so this was how I met her goodness yes. me mm -hmm. a Bergman connection yes yeah <laughs> and a uh... So you did you go to Sweden to live with her? Or? Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't work out that way. Um, she went back to to Sweden, where she was uh, was a student. I went back to my uh, construction work in in Herefordshire. We kept in in uh, in contact, and um, stayed friends. And and uh, then um, she decided to come come over to England, and uh, wow. things. Uh, Things did they go downhill or uphill? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we got and then we I got a job for both of us wardening a, uh, a summer hostel up in the Scottish Highlands at Kishorn. Oh wow! And uh, so we went up there from Herefordshire, and towards the end of this time, I said, "Well, we were here. We, we could get married because it's very easy to get married in Scotland." And so we did, and uh, oh, wow. <laughs> got married in Dingwall. Oh gosh! Yes, yeah. What a funny town! <laughs> yes, <laughs> funny town to get married, and then me, yeah. yeah. And and then we would go and hitchhike back down there, and we stayed at Inverness Hostel, and uh, the warden I'd known from from previous, uh, and he said, came into the dormitory in the evening. He said, "Does it Nick Nick Holmes here somewhere?" I said, "Yes," and. Uh, he said, just looking at the register, and I, I see you signed in earlier. Is this you finished at Kishon for the summer? I said, yes. He said, so what have you been doing since then? I said, well, all different bits and pieces. Today, for example, I got married. Said, you got married today? He said, where's your wife? I said, she's in the girls' dormitory. <laughs> Oh. But uh, he said, "Oh, you should have told me. You should have told me." I said, oh. "I didn't realise you had spare dormitories for married couples." But oh. um, anyway, there we go. That was um, just quite amusing. Lovely. First, first, 
first night of, <laughs> of wedded bliss. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And when did your daughter arrive? That was uh, just over a year later. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. We'd, we'd by then we'd we'd been working in uh, in Cambridge. She worked in uh, in a charity raising money for uh, for some sort of. of Function which was already been overrun by the Viet Cong in Vietnam. Okay. Um, so we don't really know what happened to the money. And mm -hmm. I was working again on construction, but then uh, we were offered uh, a job as running a, a youth hostel, which was the one I mentioned before, it was an old water mill situated yeah. right in the middle of the river. And so we moved there, and our daughter was born there just um, wow. sort of half a year later. Mm -hmm. Aye, so um, Erica, so Erica was uh, was she brought up in the UK and Sweden yes. or both? No, no, she was brought up. So we never spent much time in Sweden at all. Right. Um, uh, I think it's too so, close so, to Bergman to so, That's right. <laughs> just just seen all the films. I didn't need to go yeah, exactly. there again. Just walked past <laughs> houses and remembered things that yeah, never happened. That's right. <laughs> and the Swedish relatives, well, you know, <laughs> I could take them or leave them. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so uh, Erica, Erica grew up in um, in uh, in England. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. Where did you first settle in Scotland? Then, when you came to Scotland, uh, well, after we after we broke up. Um, because things weren't going well, um, Erica went, my daughter went to live with her mother, Anita, uh, who was running a hostel somewhere in the south of England. And um, I applied, that's right, I applied to run a, a hostel up in the, the west coast of Scotland, um, Carn Jerig, which is uh, sort of just out of, out of Gaelor. Mm. And um, so that's when I sort of finally, as it were, settled in, in Scotland. How did that feel finding Karnjerik? What was that like? Uh, well, because the building itself was so uh, so noteworthy and memorable, it was uh, just a wonderful place to be in. You you looked across the uh, the the loch to to the other side there. You saw the uh, the coolings of sky on the horizon. You climbed the hill at the back there, and uh, saw right up to um, to Lewis. And uh, so it, it was. It was a wonderful place to be, and um, living there provided me with all kinds of opportunities to uh, to be rural again. Kept pigs, kept geese, kept ducks, kept uh, kept anything that would <laughs> that would move and could then be eaten. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, and uh, but because it was a seasonal employment, obviously it then left the uh, the the closed season when one wasn't paid, uh, able to sort of find other work or go elsewhere. And so. Sort of varied my time between uh, local jobs, uh, working for the council and new road construction, uh, working for the forestry, um, or going to see uh, people, usually young ladies that I'd met during the previous uh, hosteling season, mm -hmm. and uh, will come and see me in in France, come and see me in Spain, come and see mm -hmm. me in America, and uh, so uh, I both travelled and was uh, had a good um, sort of uh, post restaurant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And how long were you in uh, Gerloch for? Uh, I think it was the best part of of best part of a decade. Right, maybe nine years. Yes. Mm -hmm. You have a story about being in Applecross as well. What was what was that? Yes. Uh, at that time, the only road to Applecross was the was the, the famous or infamous Beachland Bar, mm. um, which was uh, seasonally open, um, but. To, 
at uh, great expense of the council and they decided that they would link the old villages around the coast there where there was just a track mm. um, but very much against the uh, the um, desires of the owners of the estate wills as the, the uh, tobacco dynasty and um, in one particular village uh, whose name I can't remember now, there were only there were two people left, a, a brother and a sister, who only spoke Gaelic. And uh, they were aware that this road was being built, but every so often we had to do blasting. I was working for the en engineering department there, mm. and uh, we had to do blasting, and they had to be notified that they shouldn't be in their house because one never knew when a blast wouldn't quite work out right. And so one of the, uh, the workers, uh, the council workers there, also still spoke Gaelic and he went down to tell this non-English speaking couple that they had to had to leave because we were going to be blasting shortly and they had replied that it wasn't convenient they hadn't had breakfast yet and so uh, could we delay the blasting for another half hour or so and then they would go down to the shore out the uh, out the way so uh, there we go in, in in Gaelic we had to uh, to stop blasting <laughs> which is which is, which is lovely and that that wouldn't happen anymore mm. Where did you go after that? After Gerlach, I moved to Mull. That's right. Just with yes, with a, with a hiatus, I moved to Mull because uh, someone I'd met. Yes, that's right. Someone I'd met a, a German girl in uh, in uh, in Gerlach there at the hostel. Um, she'd wanted to uh, visit um, Iona, mm -hmm. the famous Iona. And so that was how I first went to uh, came to Mull on a, on a day trip or whatever it was to um, to Iona, right. and then subsequently, some friends of mine uh, heard that there was a vacancy uh, to warden the youth hostel in Tobermory, and um, said, "You you've been to Mull, Nick? What's it like?" I said, "Oh, it seems fine. You know, Tobermory is a nice wee place, and there's Iona as well, of course." Yes, yeah. And uh, so they applied for that uh, for the job and became wardens at uh, at the um, youth hostel in Main Street in Tobermory, and they said, well, "We were actually we were actually given uh, funding there for an assistant during the busy summer months. Do you want to be our assistant?" And I said, "Yeah, why not? You know." So nice. that uh, that enabled me to um, and then. Because the job wasn't that onerous, I was able to get work for the for the council in those days in, right. during the daytime, yeah. and um, then sort of help in the hostel in the evening, and uh, then at the end of the summer season there I, again I would I would probably go go somewhere else, but um, it was uh, on the second time that I. <laughs> Hostels, I said, feature a lot in my mm. autobiography. It was in the second time that I came to help my friends in uh, in um, in Tobamori mm. that I met my current wife. Ah. Yes, who'd moved from the Ross of Mull to uh, to live in Tobamori. So yeah, wives all met at and married from hostels. Yes. Goodness <laughs> me, that's that's quite something. Yeah, thinking of um, these, <clears throat> both of these locations are quite Gallic locations that you've gone to. Mm -hmm. We talked when I was speaking on the phone the other day. We talked briefly about your Gaelic teacher. Can you say, yeah, how did you um, have a look at Gaelic language and, and Gaelic with whom? Well, it is. Uh, I always felt that one should be 
interested and immerse oneself as much as possible in the, the culture in which one was living, whether it was uh, speaking Spanish or speaking German or speaking French or doing work that other people did there. And um, I was aware that uh, Gaelic at that time was still very much a, uh, a Gaelic-speaking community. Yeah. Was still people who were born and brought up speaking Gaelic, and uh, I thought this was just amazing yeah. because it's interested in languages. I thought, yes, this is uh, another language that I um, that I ought to uh, um, sort of become familiar with. Um, it affects all the all the place names here. It's good, and, yeah, uh, definitely, yeah. Which I'd been assiduously looking up. I thought, yes, I'll do this, and um, the uh, I found out that there was a Gaelic class there held in uh, in the uh, the village of of, uh, of Gaerloch, which was which was a two and a half mile cycle from the hostel, and um, the uh, the the teacher there was a, a teacher from um, the Loch U area uh, called Kay Matheson, and um, that didn't mean anything to me. Uh, it was wow. only after I'd been doing the Gaelic lessons with her once a week that I found out uh, that she was. Uh, not just famous, but celebrated for having been one of the one of the uh, the quartet that uh, took the Stone of Destiny from uh, from Westminster and brought it back up to who knows where still. Exactly. Um, and uh, so she was a very fine teacher of Gaelic, but the only thing that ran against it was that I had to cycle there. And this obviously the class was held in in the winter, as yeah. a lot of these classes are, and it was. The winter on the west coast is very different from the winter on the on the on the east coast, yeah. and it was so often so wet, so windy. I'd arrive there soaking, thinking I'm not enjoying this, and uh, uh, then have to go back again, cycle back home, and uh, I didn't find it easy to to follow this, you know, uh, assiduously enough in uh, in the in those winter months. So I really only got a, a grounding in the in in speaking Gaelic. Fantastic. <laughs> Amazing to to get to know Kay Matheson. My goodness, it's uh, yeah, yes, quite yes. a thought. <clears throat> Mull, you've settled on Mull. You met Linda, and Linda, she had the girls by that point as well. Uh, yes, she had. She had her two daughters. Yeah, um, um, and uh, yes, so they, they were all living in Tobermory, so they became my my stepdaughters. Fantastic. Yes. Where did you live first in Tobermory? Uh, we stayed in um, Bradalban Street. Um, there was a lady there who, um, uh, Jane Anderson, and um, we stayed with her. She had a uh, an upstairs which she let out as a uh, as a flat, and uh, that's where Linda and the girls were staying. And then, of course, I was staying there as well. Fantastic. Um, so that's that's uh, where we stayed in Tobermory. Yes. Just beside the surgery or across the road from the surgery? No, um, on the same side there. Oh, about, about three three houses along from the surgery. Coulain. Coulain, that's right. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Aye. That's all right. No, lovely. Yeah. What a nice you place to... what Coulain means, I've forgotten. I, the shelter of the McLeans is the way I'd interpret it. Right. I don't. So Coulain, the shelter, and then Leanne is uh, of, the, of the McLeans. But yes. I could be wrong because... It could be the it could be from Coolins as oh, well, right, something right, similar. So right. I, I think there's a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a Gaelic scholar hopefully will pick me up on that, please. Um, at some <laughs> point, but uh, yeah, I think that's roughly what Coolin means. Um, uh, yeah. Ah, nice. I, well, I, oh, so I lived across. I lived across the road from there, yes, at number thirteen. Yes. But then I lived across the road at number four, okay. uh, directly yes. opposite the, the doctor's surgery um, oh, right. uh, as well. When I lived in Top, so those are the two okay. houses I lived there. I wonder if that was the house. I can't remember who lived there now. I just picture, I completely redecorated a house in there. Might have been Noddy McDonald. 
know um, some people who went to live on a uh, on a um, canal boat in France. Oh, Jane, oh. Uh, yes, yeah. that's um, mm. a, so that's a wee bit later. Yes, um, yes. that's um, but yeah, that's the house I lived in. Right. That's uh, that's Jane's uh, family. Yeah, her mum was in there for a long time. Uh, that's right. Yes, yeah. So yes. I, when her mum passed on, it went to someone else, and then it came to me as a as a renter. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. Oh, fascinating. Uh, yes. Oh, it was lovely. I, I loved living there. Mm-hmm. It was it was a nice house. Yeah, haunted to buggery though. <laughs> James, it was really quite haunted. Uh, Georgia was in the bath one night on her own, and she heard someone going through the cupboards in the next room. <laughs> so she, uh, she she lay there in the bath until hid, the water went. In the cold. bath, did she? Yes. Yeah, just laid till the water went. But we were sitting down the bottom of the, sta- the in the kitchen there one day, and uh, something came down the stairs. We both saw something coming down the stairs at the same time. She saw something white. I saw something black. Well, well, well. no idea what was going on there at all. But mm. uh, oh, I love that house. It was great. A really nice place. It was a, uh, it was much, much quieter then, I imagine. At what point did you move to Salon? Or um, Aris, sorry, not Salon, Aris itself. Well, yes, Aris. Um, that was in... 19- we the, the lady who we lived with she was um she was selling up and um we were trying to all sorts of other places to to stay temporary accommodation and um then we heard that uh, there was a new owner of the farm there at Cantallon yeah. and he'd just moved up from um from uh from Gloucestershire and that the farm included uh this uh, cottage in Aris Mains and um, to go and see him. So sort of, uh, again, still didn't have a car. I cycled around there and uh, sort of introduced myself and said we're very interested in you know, long-term renting or even short-term renting or anything else. They hadn't decided yet what they were going to do about that. And then um, it, it, we've, only, we've only just got here. Mm-hmm. And so I went again to see him next week because it really was quite pressing our needing to find somewhere. Yeah. And um, said, had, had any further thoughts? He said, oh, well, but may as well, we can, we, can, uh, we can rent it to you for a year um, and uh, see how it goes, you know, see how things go with the farm and so on for yeah. us. And so we moved to number two Aris Mains there um, in, in 1983. <laughs> yes. And I've been there ever since. Yes, um, the uh, they kept on staying at Kentalan and kept on renewing our our lease for a year, for a couple of years. Or oh, we'll give you three years this time. And went on and on. And eventually, they uh, they said that they were um, going to retire, going to sell the farm, um, and did we want to buy mm. the the house? And uh, so we said uh, yes. And uh, so, so we're now we're now there till the till the end of our time, I suppose. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. When did Rosa come along? What age were you when Rosa was born? Uh, another good question, I suppose. I would be in my in my forties then. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, she she yes, she was thirty thirty two. She was 32 this year, so uh, she was born 32 years ago. <laughs> you can do the maths on that. She's 10 years um, younger than me, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, so, so she, she, uh, she came along, and um, she, uh, she's been a bright spark ever since. Yeah. Um, she's spent, spent, out, spent all, the, uh, all the COVID time there, sort of on a, on a wonderful, wonderful Greek island. Um, I really envy her because uh, it was the island uh, that... Um, the folk singer, 
Demis Roussos? No. He's not folk, but... Canadian, man. Oh, um, uh, the, the Chris Christopherson? No, no. Oh, he's, is he... Can he um... Anyway, he, he... So long, Marianne. Oh, Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen, thank you. So anyway, uh, she's gone to that island there. Wow. Did you, she'd never heard of Leonard Cohen apart from, from, knowing, from knowing that her dad played this this Miserable dirges. Dance me to the end of love, I write, okay, she, she fine. She did tell me this the other, uh, the other <laughs> week that, um, uh, oh, she said I had my birthday party there and... And uh, then Linda Cohen's daughter came to my birthday party. She said, and, oh, yes, and, and um, uh, what's the other man? The airline man. Oh, Richard Branson. Yes, Richard Branson's stepdaughter came to my birthday party as well. She's obviously mixing with the right set. Goodness uh, me. Yeah. But, um, Hope that leads to fruitful employment. Yes, well, time. yes, she is, she is a digital nomad. Mm. So she works for uh, for charities and whatever other clients she she can get there. So it's amazing she can she can supervise a uh, you know a film shoot in uh, in America from a, a beach on a, on a Greek island. It's, amazing. Yes, yes, I I could never do anything like that in, <laughs> at her age. Oh. That's quite wonderful um, to be that to have that freedom. It's mm. brilliant. Yes, yes. When you were moved to um, to Aris Means, were there any other folk from? Um, was it so- Soy still around? Was it Soy that people, or was it St Kilda that they had come St. from? St Kilda. Um, they weren't around here. I, I met one of them once in in the waiting room, uh, waiting for a, a ferry there in Oban. Gosh, and I sadly missed out a lot of opportunities to go to St Kilda when I lived up in Gerloch. A good friend then was the RSPB uh, seasonal warden on St Kilda and he said oh, I can get you out. It's when in the days when the the army ran all the uh, all the transport to and from I'll get you on one of the uh, one of the army boats but it was always too awkward for me to get away yeah. uh, significantly in the summer yeah. and I'd say well maybe next year I'll try and get someone to to come stand in and clear it with head off yeah. And didn't come out then, but it never happened, and I, it's one of the big regrets of my life that it didn't get to St Kilda when it yet. Mm-hmm. You've not been yet. Yet, no. There's still a chance. Well, yes, yes. I don't know. Mm, I'd love to go. I must have had yeah. somewhere else. Yes. You are also a photographer. Mm-hmm. How did your photography craft develop? <laughs> hey, like the pun there. Hey, That's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. Um, no, my uh, my father was a very keen photographer, and um, he uh, he did all his. Own, it was black and white of, mm. in, in those days, and he did all his own developing in a, in a cupboard under the stairs in the in the house in which we lived, and um, I was sort of let in on the esoteric secrets of this kind of thing, but also became keen and interested in photography, and. Uh, Eventually, uh, he said, oh, you can have my camera, which was a, uh, a Leica, which he'd um, bought on their honeymoon to Germany in 1936. And so all of my first photography was with this uh, this um, old Leica. But I think I haven't had a camera as good as that since. Staggering optics and so on, and a uh, wonderful camera. I'm sorry that eventually I sold it to buy one of these things they called an SLR, which was the... Uh, the uh, the new flavour at the feast and and yeah. um, so it was uh, a pity but never mind I wish I'd kept it yes it was as good a camera as it had and um, so yes I've been worked as a photographer since then uh, I 
did it both commercially to a certain extent for people who wanted uh, uh, functions photographed or buildings photographed or um, uh, things like that. Um, uh, but then also just taking and uh, trying to sell uh, landscape uh, pictures, textural pictures of mm. Mull to uh, to the uh, annual visitor influx and so had various retail outlets and so on. And also uh, Derwick Village Hall on every That's right, yes. second Sunday, was it? Or? Producers markets they used yeah. to have on uh, on Sundays. Yeah. But of course, uh, like so many other people, um, my business suffered totally with the uh, with the with the COVID closed down. The uh, yeah. the retail outlets closed, etc. There were yeah. no producers markets, nothing. From having been a, re- a reasonable uh, reasonable living, um, yeah. became a total dead loss. Yeah. At least I still have my stock. Waiting yeah, yeah. For, yes, waiting for things to pick up again. No two ways about it. I think the- things have changed a lot, though. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a significant character from connected to the islands called Isabella Bird as well. Yes. What's your connection to Isabella Bird? Uh, that's a good question. It also goes back uh, a long way. When I was a child living, as I said, in Huntingdonshire, I used to read a magazine produced about local history, and um, this particular article caught my eye a split personality. I thought, I wonder what a split personality is. And so I read about um, Isabella Bird, who, having been uh, brought up uh, as the son of a a minister, they call him up here, of a a rector or a vicar in in, uh, Houghton, which was uh, the same village as I eventually ran the the watermill hostel in. Um, And she'd lived there. And I thought, oh, I know where that is. And uh, so I retained an interest in her and what she'd uh, what she'd done and then um, became uh, more interested as I, as I read her travel books mm. pioneer uh, victorian traveler and found them very very interesting and her interesting uh, not just a, as a split personality so called but um, as a as a person as a, as a traveler of note and uh, a few years later i saw that um, the, uh, the 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 um, the National Park in uh, in Colorado, Estes Park, was uh, looking for uh, an artist in residence, and uh, one was uh, invited to apply for an artist in residency, uh, stating what one's uh, aim and uh, and um, product would be. Uh, subsequent to that, I had also worked as a as a gardener and handyman for the people who subsequently owned the uh, the, the rectory where she'd lived <laughs> in Houghton, Gosh. and um, so I was able to pull that out the hat to say my close connection with Isabella Bird, but also as a photographer, and I wanted to go to the uh, to national park and um, as it were walk in her steps yeah. and take pictures of the pictures which she took. Um, when in in her early travels as a pioneer photographer, and so it'd be uh, a, la- a lady's life revisited was the uh, the title of my uh, of my artist in residency there, and it was really quite fascinating to be there and to go to the places not always easy to get to either, yeah. um, and uh, some things uh, it was very difficult to to reinterpret. She took pictures, for example, of uh, of an Indian um, Native American settlement. And I thought, poof, there's, there's nothing at all like that here. There's no, no Native American settlements here anymore. But at the entrance to a huge caravan park, I found a teepee. 
yeah. a token uh, acknowledgement of the uh, of the Heritage. previous uh, tenants, as it were, of the uh, yeah. of the area. And so, I mean, that that became my uh, my interpretation. And there's another picture of herself um, holding the bridle of a horse, which she which she travelled around on. I thought, oh. How can I find this? And then I found someone who did um, who did uh, horse trekking, and there was a very nice young lady there. And I said, "Could I take a picture of you just holding the uh, the bridle of your horse there?" And explained why. Oh yes. And so uh, that was the that reinterpretation of the Isabella Bird picture, which which actually was a, was a line drawing she made. She didn't actually take a, a photograph of herself holding the bridle, obviously. <clears throat> And how did that go down? What did you do with the exhibition once? Did you have um, one had to? Uh, they, one of the requirements was to um, to uh, to hold um, a, uh, a a public lecture in the in their uh, in their sort of um, auditorium there in the national park wow. and explain what one was doing and show what one was doing. Of course, didn't didn't have a lot to show of what I was doing at the time because I was still doing it. But I was able to put together a uh, significant slideshow of uh, the various places that uh, which she was associated with in Huntingdonshire where I'd been previously. Mm. And it was um it was it was very well received. But the most it, the question which always came up because um uh, Isabella Bird formed a uh, a friendship, shall we call it, with a well known uh, ruffian and um one old lady said, "Do you think she actually had sex with that man?" <laughs> and uh, on the spur of the moment, it's not the easiest thing to say yes or no to. So I said, "I thought it unlikely, really, given that she was the daughter of a Victorian vicar. Mm. Um, I think why her body may have been for it, uh, her culture and upbringing would have been a it. So uh, the answer is probably not." Oh, thank you, sir. Yes. <laughs> and where do you come from? I said, well, I'm I'm actually living uh, near Tobermory on the Isle of Mull. Isle of Mull? That's where my folks came from. Oh, are we? Yes. So she said, have you got any photographs of the Isle of Mull with you? So I said, well, yes, just the one I showed you of the uh, the house where Isabella Bird lived in, yeah. in Mull, but I haven't taken any other pictures because it didn't really seem germane. Oh, I said, that's right, there was a picture of the clock tower which was erected in yeah. um, in her sister's memory. And um, she said, oh, I would love some pictures of the Isle of Mull. And so when I got home, I, I did send her some pictures of the Isle of Mull. Wow. <laughs> and did she ever make it across, do you know? No, she was, this old lady was, was old. Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, it's not nice to think that uh, you know one one was able to sort of bring things full circle in in a way for her. Yes, lovely. Well, thank you so much, Nick. That's absolutely superb. Uh, it's been been fun. Uh, it's, it's it's tickled my memory banks and <laughs> trying to remember names and dates. Yes, <laughs> I think I got most of them right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you most kindly for your time on this, Nick. It's always such a pleasure to catch up and spend time together, so I look forward to seeing you again soon. Whenever anyone speaks to me for the podcast, they always get a complimentary pack of Island Bakery biscuits, usually the delicious lemon melts. 
Yesterday, the team at the Island Bakery were kind enough to give us over two more big boxes of biscuits, including the aforementioned lemon melts, and a host of biscuits from their gluten-free Sweet FA range. So there's many more biscuits to go out, and many more folk to be spoken to yet. Thank you so much, Joe and Don. I'm going to try and spend a bit more time over the coming weeks on the podcast. There's a wee window in my work calendar which gives me a bit more time to catch up with folk and record their stories and hopefully also edit and release them. So there's lots more to come. Now, I hate to ask favours of listeners, but I don't want you to feel obliged in any way. But if you're a regular listener, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review of what we do in the winter on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast. That could be a star review or, you know, a text review as well. The listener numbers from all over the world are genuinely amazing, but it just needs a wee push on the review front just to make the dreaded algorithms that govern podcast visibility take notice of it a little bit more. Having said this, if you did want to support the podcast and the archiving project, as it does take quite a lot of time to do, please feel free to click the donate tab on whatwedointhewinter.com. But with things changing on a daily basis, obviously don't worry if you can't or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened and went along gallivanting with us rather than not. On that note, thank you so much to our monthly supporters through Patreon. I really, really appreciate it. If anyone else wants to join them on Patreon, just look for What We Do In The Winter and you'll find us in there. Well. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Take care, wherever you are. Morantang. Shinakate. Um, have you heard any of these before at all? I haven't. No. Good. That's, okay. that's, that's the correct answer. Um, well, I... I don't know if I'd listen to it because when I hear the sound of my voice, it has been recorded, I think, oh, what a, what a prat. So <laughs> I don't know if I would listen. <laughs> I hope no one I know hears this. <laughs>